When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Here we go. Jackson for his tight end, brought in by Mark Andrews, who escapes and goes all the way for the touchdown. Intercepted, picked up by Thomas. Earl Thomas with a foot race. Brown won't get him. That will be six. Running a little option. Jackson beats. Jackson breaks the tackle. He's right to the pylon, and it's a touchdown. Hello and welcome to Pod Like a Raven, episode four. We're not feeling quite as uh, quite as up as we as we were last week. First loss for the Ravens, but we got a lot to talk about because there's some good, some bad, some ugly, some takeaways, and then we'll talk about the rest of the NFL as well. I am Antonio Barbera. I'm joined, as always, in the studio by Tim Horsey. Tim, how's it going? Yeah, like you said, um, not. As happy as the first or the last two episodes we've done coming off Ravens wins, but something we'll get into in a second. Maybe the least discouraged I have been in a ra- for a Ravens loss in a very, very long time. And joining us via technology from the West Coast, Jace Evans. Jace, how's it going over there? It's going well. Um, like you said, uh, we might have Ravens lost, but we might have the most to talk about today. So very exciting days despite the loss. So let, ready to get into it. The Ravens traveled to Kansas City for the Chiefs home opener, fell 33 to 28 in a game that at first seemed like a close game, then seemed like a blowout and then suddenly was a close game again. Lot to talk about. Uh, let's start with the good in this game, the running game. Successful from start to finish. They had to forget about it for a while, and they were down by two scores. But what do we like from the running game so far this year and I, last week? Yeah, I'm going to say a guy that I wasn't super high on. I mean, it was just a fine signing in the off season who has turned out to be, you know, the quote unquote bell cow for this offense. Mark Ingram, man. Mark Ingram the second, 16 carries, 103 yards. Three touchdowns, um, breaking tackles, still showed a lot of power in those legs. I really liked what I saw from him and somebody that they're really going to have to rely on, um, especially, you know, you talk about it. This team, 
I'm a little worried when they go behind big. So being able to control the ball, control possession, and uh, control the clock, obviously, I think he is going to be even more important as we go down further in the season. Yeah, I love Mark Ingram so far. Like you said, Tim, I was not really... I didn't feel strongly either way, really, about his signing, but he runs angry. It's fun to watch. And yeah, he put up a good bit of yards yesterday, and we'll probably get into this in a moment. You could argue we should have used him even more, even though he did have 103 yards, three TDs. Um, I think, uh, like you said, though, with the running game and falling behind big, I think yesterday's game exposed most, if not all, of our concerns we had about this team prior to the season, uh, I think they were kind of all laid bare uh, yesterday. So, um, yeah, so we'll get into that here. But Mark Ingram, big biggest plus of the day for sure. I mean, this is such a, a common descriptor of a running back, but he's he's the one cut back, which works so well for this RPO where he, he goes laterally for a step or two hits the hole, and then he's moving. The momentum gets him three yards every carry, and then when he breaks tackles, which he does way more often than I thought he was going to do, I did not think he was that type of tackle breaker, he ends up with these five, six, seven-yard gains. So the running game, strong. Uh, Jace, I I know you want to talk about this a little bit. The late fight from this team, something that we liked, where they could have rolled over maybe in that third quarter when this game looked like it was getting away from them, but Lamar Jackson and company kept fighting and slowly got back into the game. Yeah, it spoke and not to, I feel like we've dumped on him maybe every week, but not to throw old QB Joe Flacco under the bus again. But this was a game where, you know, they fall behind 24 to six and the final under Joe Flacco would have been 31 to 10. Like, and like I don't know how that score even works with the bath, but uh, yeah, it was a strange game in a lot of ways. Like you were like, ah, this is a blowout. And then you look up and the Ravens have the ball or almost have a chance to kick an onside to get the ball back. They were never really out of it. They covered the spread, which we talked about was seven points. Um, And yeah, I think it's encouraging. And we've seen this before from Lamar Jackson, probably most prominently in last year's playoff game um, where even in the, so in the three games he's lost, the Ravens have never really been out of the game and just his playmaking ability. And he wasn't great. Wasn't really even good for large stretches of yesterday, but um, he kept fighting and he just made it such a series of impressive plays. They never really fell out of it. Um, USA Today Sports, Jared Bell talked to members of the Chiefs and Tyron Matthew in particular. Um, he was just so impressed with Lamar and called basically said how special of a player he is. So it's nice to have that person on the Ravens to try to get those uh, comeback victories. Yeah, you see, you know, if you look back in the storylines coming out of this game, obviously it's Patty Mahomes who we'll get to, who is just absolutely incredible. <laughs> I hate watching him against us, love watching him against legitimately any other team in the league. <laughs> um, and the, the takeaway for Baltimore is Lamar is electric. Lamar's going to make plays. You have to watch it every time he's going out of the pocket. Some of those decisions, incredibly questionable. <laughs> um, but but he's, he's fun to watch, and it's somebody that your eyes are glued to from an NFL standpoint. But from a Ravens standpoint, and, and outside of winning games and being productive, obviously, the thing that I think is going to endear him to this Baltimore fan base is that lack of quitting. Like he, He's just always thinks he's got a shot. He's always going to do whatever he can to bring this team back. And you talk about the three losses. I mean, against the Chiefs last year, he was pretty good, um, if memory serves. This this year, 
some questionable decisions, but he was always getting that extra, you know, the second and seven. He didn't see anything down the field. He'd take off it. I mean, absolutely juke a few guys out of their shoes. I mean, some of those highlight reel, uh, just making guys miss, was at, <laughs> it was incredible. But it was the fight that he continued to have throughout the game that I think is something that's really going to endear him to this Baltimore crowd. And, I mean, I was watching uh, the game with family and friends, and, and they all said the same thing. You know, I, I deal with, and myself included, and this is kind of what I was brought up with with a Ravens fan, incredibly pessimistic people <laughs> watching games. <laughs> incredibly pessimistic. But afterwards, and, and even during the game, during the quote-unquote comeback a little bit, Nobody had a bad word to say about Lamar, even with a couple throws. He missed some throws, some throws that he made in the first two weeks. He was overthrowing guys. He missed Hollywood a couple times on some um, some for sure massive gains. But the kid doesn't quit. And the NFL is always going to talk. The NFL fan base in general is going to talk about how electric he is, and that's great. But I think the Baltimore fans are always going to talk about this guy. We'll see how good they are, you know, if they're down 10 midway through the fourth quarter and if, if they're going to have that ability to come back because we, we talk about all this and he still hasn't done it yet. But but that fight is something that I think is people are going to um, really endear him to. So there's no analytics behind this, but another difference. And, Jace, we can keep piling on uh, Joe Flacco <laughs> until he wins a game with Denver. How about that? And or scores 17 points, even. That hasn't right. happened yet. <laughs> uh, but one of the di- – I mean, Tim has talked about the Baltimore fan base so well. But one of the things – I mean, think of Joe Flacco down 13 – getting sacked or fumbling or throwing the ball out of bounds on third and seven. Or just walking up to the line with four minutes left down two scores and taking his time. Now, there was the the drive late at the end. The the amount of receivers who just would not go out of bounds, were allergic to going out of bounds when they're down (laughs) two scores, I will never understand. But not having to watch that anymore where the clock is ticking down and you know they need to go and he's just sombering up to the line, taking his time, down, set, Hut is something that I'm never going to miss. And the after the play. When the yep. play goes poorly, it doesn't, it didn't, and it doesn't even with Denver, frankly, look like he's that upset about the result. Whereas <laughs> you see Lamar Jackson, when he has a bad throw and he doesn't convert, when he jukes three people in third and ten and gets eight yards on the run, he's upset that he didn't get the first down and you see it. And while that's not necessarily you know the definition of success, Baltimore fans see that and they buy into that and they love it. Yeah, it's something that I, that I defended Joe Flacco for a long time with the people like, oh, he's just too emotionless. I need a little fight. I need a little fight. And I was like, you know, I kind of like the even-keeled quarterback. And maybe this is just getting something different and you're always going to like something different to start. But I tell you what, now seeing it from the other side, yeah, I, I don't want that guy screaming at his teammates all the time or being a being a pain but he legitimately you can see how much he cares and i hope that's not just him being a young young player in this league i really hope that's him be that's his personality and then again just i'm going to use that word over and over again and it sounds like we're just it's a lamar lovin right now and maybe it is a little bit but because again he did not play particularly well in this game but i am always going to give him the benefit of the doubt when he is showing the the extra little inch and an extra little care, for lack of a better term, in, in coming back in these games. And the electricity certainly doesn't hurt either watching so it. Good. Even, so even good. Even when they're uh, trailing. Uh, I read a Yahoo piece. I forget the um, defensive lineman, but uh, someone said something along the lines of, quote, he sauced me up real good. And another guy said <laughs> that Lamar put him in a blender. <laughs> um, so there are some just incredible plays and it's like, and, and, you know, as you kind of had guys had mentioned from the outside, I think that's what a lot of 
uh, just general NFL fans take away watching Lamar is he's just exciting to watch. And that's great, too. But like you guys also said, the fight is, I think, something to hold on to, especially when it's a disappointing kind of outcome for the Ravens. Yeah, by the way, it was Alex Okafor who was, uh, for for an NBA term, posterized by Lamar Jackson, just (laughs) falling back on his butt after just getting juked out of his shoes. So I want to get into some of the drives at the start of this game because I texted you both after the first quarter. Forced a punt on the first drive, scored a touchdown on a 14-play drive on the Ravens' first drive. And then the quarter ended at, I think it was still 6 to nothing when the quarter ended, and then the Chiefs scored a touchdown on the first play of the second, uh, the second quarter. At that point, and we had talked about this the week before, keep the Chiefs off the field, run the ball, eat up clock, and score at the end of those drives, score touchdowns at the end of those drives. The first quarter was written to script, started to feel pretty good about the possibility of this game, and then the Chiefs, as they have done multiple times this year, own the second quarter. On a lot with a lot of big plays, a lot of touchdown drives. I think they scored three touchdowns in the second quarter. Three That's really their twenty-three points. Their favorite quarter. Yeah. Uh, and so let's talk about now. Let's pivot a little bit to, to some of the bad stuff. Where at that point it became a game where the Ravens were chasing for the rest of the game. What didn't we like as this game got underway? Dan Fouts. <laughs> Thank you, Tim. <laughs> Dan Fouts. I'm just going to say it. The next time he calls a Ravens game, I'm muting the television. I'm calling Jason. I'm having him do the play-by-play. I have to stop myself from angry tweeting about Dan Fouts multiple times. That guy, and you know what? This is a Ravens podcast, so I'm going to get a little bit homer, and and I'm not going to apologize for it. Is the color commentator, by the way, for those of you who maybe didn't catch the game, Dan Fouts doing the color for this game. Tim, please keep going. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Ian Eagle, a professional, somebody who studies the game, looks at both, maybe, I don't know, checks out the roster and the numbers and the names of the individual players. Maybe has some juicy nuggets to throw about each team. I think Dan Fouts walked in off a bender and just <laughs> ran into the booth and didn't know what he was doing. Everything he said was wrong. He got every single little fact wrong. He, the only thing he would do is state the obvious. Oh, this Mahomes guy, he's pretty good. Thank you, Dan. Really appreciate that. Let's move on. I, I just, I, he, is, he is the worst color guy that I have listened to since the infamous Dan Deardorf. If nobody remembers Dan <laughs> Deardorf, a personal non-favorite of mine as well. Another guy that I'm just going to have to hit mute on and listen to old Jerry Sandusky, Stan White, and Kadri Ismail on the radio call because I just, I was, that game was frustrating by the way anyway, and then having to listen to him, and it's not even, I don't even care about the him praising the other team. The Chiefs are great. Mahomes is great. Uh, the people I was watching the game with, that was frustrating. You made the joke, do a drinking game. Anytime they say Mahomes, Mahomes excuse me, you're going to be on the floor in the first quarter because <laughs> they just love the guy. He's the reigning MVP. I get it. But the fact that in a color guy, you listen to Romo, I want to learn something from that guy. I want him to point something out. That maybe I'm not seeing. This is why people rag on Collinsworth. I kind of like Collinsworth because he can be a little ridiculous, but I feel like I learned something from him watching a game. I got stupider listening to Dan Fouts, <laughs> and, and I'm absolutely done with the guy. I really, I hope they just find a new guy with Iron Eagle because I actually really enjoy Iron Eagle's play-by-play. But uh, uh, that was my my number one at rant over <laughs> on, on a fourth down on a fourth down play where the Ravens went for it in the first half. Uh, Lamar Jackson threw it low, and there was a miscommunication between Marquise Brown and Mark Andrews. And Dan Fouts's Dan Fouts's response to that was, "Well, you know, he, he look, he didn't force the ball, and that's a smart play to not force the ball when you don't have a lot of space. It's fourth down." <laughs> 
And there was two receivers you there. You have to force the ball because you, you lose the ball if you have an incomplete pass after that. Later on in the game, he's talking about the Ravens' decision to go for two on the first drive. Uh, and he was sort of correlating the fact that since they didn't score seven points, that was why the Chiefs were able to score three touchdowns in the second quarter. Those things aren't related. That's called Dan Does Math, and it's not very good. Yeah, there, there's... <laughs> go ahead, well, I, It's similar to Deardorff, you know... These are NFL legends. We should say Dan Fouts, Hall of Famer. <laughs> Hall of Hall Fame, Fame football player. Hall of Fame football player. Football Not player. necessarily a Hall of Fame broadcaster. But And at the same time, football's changed a lot in the over 30 years since Dan Fouts has retired. And I think with a lot of these NFL legends, because uh, he didn't bother me as much as I think he bothered you all. But um, I, I think... You know, as these legends get older, the game, I think, just passes them by in some ways. And I think that's what happened to Phil Sims, too. Like, everyone used to just nail Phil Sims because he was the number one CBS guy. Phil Sims used to be quite good. And the game kind of, I think, just passed him by when he's been retired for over 25 years. You know, you bring Romo right off the NFL or right out of the NFL into the booth. So he knows exactly what every team's trying to do. And I'm sure we'll turn against Tony somewhere down the line. But yes, I digress that. Dan Fouts was not great. But <laughs> I think part of it, too, was I, I was on the Ravens Reddit, and this was like earlier in the week, and, and somebody posted, now again, it's the internet, you can't believe everything you saw, and I didn't, I didn't fact check this, but someone said, Chiefs Ravens confirmed Nance and Romo on the call, and I was like, this makes sense, it's the big game of the week, it's the CBS, big CBS game of the week especially, this is going to be great, I haven't listened to Romo in a while, uh, especially in a Ravens game, really looking forward to listening to him. And then we got Dan effing Fouts. And I, <laughs> I, just, was, uh, I was stunned that Romo and Nance weren't on this call. And I guess, I don't know how far ahead they make these decisions, because I think they thought they were going to get Drew Brees versus Russell Wilson, but I still think you would have audible to send Nance and Romo to Kansas City, but... I don't know. They don't pay me to make these decisions. So. <laughs> All right, so now we're uh, we're getting too far into the show without talking about the bad stuff of the Ravens. It's almost like we're ignoring the important things that were negative that we don't want to talk about. I know I am. Anyway, let's get to some of these things that we didn't love <laughs> aside <laughs> that had to do with the Ravens themselves. Tim already touched on uh, Lamar definitely missed some deep throws, and they're all overthrows, which is an interesting... He, he was sailing. I rewatched the game this morning. He was sailing... Almost everything. He sailed all, pretty deep. much everything, yeah. Uh, and then later on in the game, Jace, maybe you want to touch on this. Uh, he's not quite uh, the quarterback maybe that you want down multiple touchdowns. He's not quite that polished passer when you need the, thir- you know, the third and 15s. Yeah, and I think this ties into what we were talking about with Mark Ingram. Just when you kind of lose a bit of the threat of the run and know this guy has to pass... Um, and you get behind schedule and this goes into, you know, issues we've talked about with, do we have enough playmakers at the wide receiver level? We know we have one, but they sh- did struggle to get uh, Hollywood Brown the ball uh, yesterday. And as Antonio pointed out pre-show, Nick Boyle led the team in yards yesterday. Um, so they were just having an issue getting the ball to their go-to guys. And I think that probably is a byproduct of they did fall behind, you know, some penalties here. Uh, some maybe stuffs on a run on first down, and then you're at second and seven at Arrowhead Stadium, and you have to complete a pass, and everyone knows he's looking for Mark Andrews, so uh, it just becomes harder and harder, and I think we saw, like, when the Ravens do get behind schedule or in the early downs, and then in the game at large, um, 
it can be a, it can still be a struggle for Lamar. And that's kind of the step he has to take to kind of reach the next level of quarterback. Well, that's the biggest point here, too. And, and in the first two games, I mean, the Dolphins game, the running game was maybe a little bloated because they had some big runs, especially that first play for Ingram. And we talked about it against Arizona. The running game was not that great, but there was always the threat of it. And you could and you that allows you to set up the pass when you're behind Kansas City knows. And this is Kansas City's defense is not great, but what they're good at is like that second quarter. They come out, they score a ton of points in the second quarter already. Uh, I think they were one point shy of the NFL record in the first three games. They've scored some ridiculous <laughs> amount of uh, in these first three games. They've scored. I can't remember the exact number, but it's just absolutely absurd. The amount of points they've scored in the second quarter. So they force you that you have to come back and you have to throw the ball. And guys, this is what's going to happen when you have th- this young core. Marquise Brown, rookie. Mark Andrews, second year. Jace pointed out, Willie Sneed, the veteran, 26, which <laughs> yeah, 26. blew my blew mind. My mind. <laughs> Nick Boyle's only been in the league three, four years off the top of my head. This is a very young group of guys outside of like Mark Ingram, and then you talk about the offensive line, a guy like Marshall Yonda, Lamar, obviously his second year. There's going to be growing pains, and you go into Arrowhead, it's their home opener, it's the the first game back since the loss to the Patriots in the AFC Championship game. They were all fired up. Mahomes comes out dealing. Um, and, and look, this is just what's going to happen. And we'll get to him now. And I know I know, my man over here, Antonio, wants to wax poetic about the man he was going to get a jersey of, Mr. Hollywood Brown. <laughs> but when he's your number one receiving threat, I mean, he's a rookie. He's, he looks like a 12-year-old out there because he hasn't balked up. This is what's going to happen. If he can't get open and, if, and they're just going to blanket Mark Andrews because he's going to be your, your safety valve, they're going to have to find ways to either keep games close or keep ahead in games or you're going to have these struggles going forward. And and so we're going to I'm going to use that to pivot slightly. First of all, you're absolutely right. I'm getting closer and closer to buying a, a Hollywood <laughs> Brown jersey. Now what you have to do, not brown on the back, but Hollywood. Yeah. Get accustomed, right? Oh yeah. yeah Maybe okay. with like three or four O's to just kind of keep <laughs> Hollywood. That's right. Yeah. Um but you're absolutely right about this young core. And I mean, I would have liked if they they didn't really force the ball into Brown's hands. And by that, I mean throwing the passes that he can definitely catch that are guaranteed and then letting him run after the catch. The throws that they made to him early were pretty much all deep throws that I can remember. And he didn't even have a chance and Lamar to, missed to, make, yeah, to exactly. make a play on him. Yeah. Uh, I liked the thought of getting the ball in his hands earlier, especially when you don't have sort of everything sort of going, rolling uh, at the same time. So what did Harbaugh do because of this? It was unbelievably aggressive from start to finish. I liked it then. I like it now. I know it looks worse when you lose and, and you don't succeed with a lot of these conversions, but going for it on fourth down, I think four times in the game, uh, and most of them early in the game, uh, three two-point conversion attempts. Looks bad when you go 0 for 3 on those two-point attempts, but we have to talk about this. He has gotten so much flack from sort of the, let's call it the Dan Fouts generation of, <laughs> of analysts. Sort of the, the younger generation and the analytic generation is instead praising him, uh, especially because he looks bad now that it didn't work out. Let's yeah. talk about these two-point conversions. The first one may be the one that makes the most sense sort of to, you know, from the, from the naked eye, and that's going for it on the one after there's a penalty on the extra point attempt. Yeah, I get the case for all of them. Like you said, it's easy in hindsight, you know, 
they went 0 for 3 on two-point conversions and lost by five. So <laughs> if you uh, do some simple math, that we could be looking at a 34-33 Ravens win here. Um, yeah, Dan Fouts could do that math. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I... <sighs> I, the Ravens made a big investment, and obviously they switched from general manager Ozzie Newsom, longtime GM, to Eric DaCosta. And they made a big, they made a ton of hires on the analytics side this offseason in their front office that kind of went a little under the radar. But it seems that they are adhering, at least early, John Harbaugh is, to these principles. And I don't hate it against this opponent. Um, so, and we'll get to the defense because the streak kept up. Patrick Mahomes has scored over 25 points. In every game he's started in the NFL, um, including the playoffs. So you're going to have to score when you play them. And obviously, two point conversions, especially from the one is a good way because you think, too, they get that first two point. It's from the one. Now the Chiefs are the team that are behind schedule. They probably have to start thinking about go. Do we go for two? And if they don't get it, then they're behind two. So I get the case for it. Um, And I actually agreed with most of the fourth downs, maybe the one. Uh, when they were just trailing seven six, the second one because they did it twice on their um, on the I believe their second or third series um, that ended up with ended with the Chiefs taking over and immediately going up uh, I believe fourteen to six. Um, that could have been a that probably wasn't a hundred percent great, but you understand the process behind it. So yeah, there was one two, and I and I can't remember the exact. It might have been in the second half where they were they were in their own territory. And it was like a fourth and five, and Harbaugh just said, pedal to the metal, we're doing this anyway. And I was a little concerned about that. That being said, we'll get to the defense a little later. You know, anybody outside of Marlon Humphrey couldn't cover squat, so I kind of understand that maybe you don't trust him as much. I also – this is tough because I see both sides of this argument. Um, in the moment, it was great. Uh, you know, in the moment, you're like, oh – the cojones on Harbaugh. I love this. He trusts his guys. He knows he has to go in here. He knows he has to be aggressive against this Chiefs team in order to win. He kind of might realize that he's the less talented side there. He's away from home. you got to silence this crowd. There's all these different factors that aren't even the analytics thing, which you know I don't know nearly enough about, but, but the general consensus is really you shouldn't you should be going for a lot more of these fourth downs fourth downs um and going for two a lot more of the time some of these hardcore analytics guys basically just want to get rid of kickers and punters altogether <laughs> because they think the probability of winning gives you a better chance harbaugh has always kind of been a go with your gut guy and and as um you know take you behind the curtain in our pre-show pre-show meeting jace was talking about he's he's kind of surprised that he's adopted these analytics guys and, and allowed them kind of into the fold here within this Ravens organization. I think the one that I want to talk about um, is the one where they're they're down 11. It's the big talking point. They're down 11 and all of a sudden he's going for two. And I remember sitting there, jaw on the floor, everybody who were watching it all looking at each other, looking at me like, what's, what's he doing here? What, what do you think he's doing here? And I, hands up, I have it. <laughs> Absolutely no idea. He could have made it a 10-point game with an, with an easy chip shot, extra point. He decides to try and make it a 9-point game. This is what Harbaugh said today, quote, Getting it to 9 gives you a much better chance of winning than taking it to overtime. You still have a chance to do that with the second two. And if for some reason they happen to kick a field goal or score a touchdown, it also enhances your odds. You can hear him adopting these analytics here. 
quote, while you may think getting it to 10 is the thing to do, it's the thing to do if you want to go to overtime, which is the big point here. It's not the thing to do if you want to win the game in regulation. And that's what we were trying to do. So his reasoning here, and I'm going so I'm going way back and forth on this because initially I was so incredibly against him going for two in this situation. Hearing him saying we just wanted to win it in overtime, we didn't want to. First of all, you have to stop Mahomes. Second of all, if you get to overtime, you risk a coin flip, and you get a coin flip. All he's got to do is bomb another touchdown over Brandon Carr, and the game is over. <laughs> Antonio, I start with you. After hearing his explanation, what did you think in the moment, and has your opinion changed? Because legitimately, I don't, I, I cannot decide how I feel about this. In the moment, I didn't know what to think because I didn't know, <laughs> I didn't know the analytics behind it. I was, I was perplexed I was, as you were. My jaw hit the floor. Yeah. The only thing I thought of in the moment was, oh well, he's expecting. Kansas City to score again, and he's trying to get as many points as he possibly can. Looking at it now, after reading his explanation that he sort of didn't want to tie, that he's playing to win, I'm sure the analytics backs it, but I don't know if I agree with that you should go for the tie, at least in regulation, in a game like this. You're playing a team that's better than you. You're playing on the road. If you play to tie, you're setting up the situation where there's a coin toss that's basically going to decide... Who has a very good chance of winning in overtime? That helps you. If you're the underdog and you're the worst team, having it come to a coin toss is going to up the probability of you winning from, what, 40% to 50%, right, if you win that toss. I kind of like the idea of of going for the tie uh, based on this game. However, the odds of them stopping the Chiefs were so slim. And, I mean, that, that proved itself was evident by the end of the game. They never were able to stop them. Even on that last drive, the Chiefs were able to run the clock out. Yeah. So I think a lot of this is, and we I, we can use this to sort of pivot to talk about the defense, a lot of this was, unfortunately, Harbaugh's clear lack of faith in the defense to get consistent stops at any point in this game. Yeah, I think so too. I think he's covering up in the analytics a little bit with the fact that he knew Mahomes was going to torch them. That first drive, by the way, just quickly, and Jace, I'll let, I'll let you go ahead, but that first drive was such a tease. They were getting after Mahomes, flustering him. They hit him a couple times. He seemed a little, you know, for him anyway, off, quote unquote. Um, And then from there, it was kind of, you know, the same old Patty Mahomes. Yeah, he's insane. And I know we talked about he's the best. He's still he's he has 10 touchdowns on the year and is already well clear of a thousand yards. And he's played three games. Um, I'm no math expert. And we should probably have uh, disclosed. Okay, Dan. We should have probably disclose during that two point conversation. We all have journalism degrees, and <laughs> so <laughs> um, math not our strong suit. But uh, yeah, twenty seven to thirty seven, three seventy four, three TDs, ten yards per carry average. They only sacked him one time. I completely agree, Tim. That first drive, I was like, okay, maybe they could fluster him a little bit, and then like, and as Antonio, you said, first quarter about perfect for the Ravens. They could have really asked for more. Even early second quarter looked like they were going to get a stop, but our our good friend Matt Judon um, stepped in with a uh, very blatant roughing the passer call that they're going to call 100 times out of 100 on the league MVP uh, by tackling him with a horse collar. And they pretty much immediately scored from there. And the game was effectively just that was the takeoff point for the Chiefs. They scored 23 points in the second quarter, just bomb after bomb from Mahomes. Um, and yeah, as we said, the Ravens fought back, but they couldn't truly recover from that second quarter onslaught. 
mistakes on defense <laughs> killed this team. In a situation where you're going to give up yards, you just can't make mistakes. A lot of mistakes all over the field from different players. Multiple penalties that killed us. Uh, the Tony Jefferson pass interference, and that's in the second half on what was an intercepted ball. I go back and forth between whether or not that was pass interference. It looked like it was totally away from the play and that the throw was to somebody else. Uh, Harbaugh mentioning he also didn't think it was pass interference but thought a challenge was never going to get the call overturned. So well, this, this is it. an interesting point from Harbaugh because I get this because the problem with this whole we're going to and we've talked about it. I think we did it the first episode and we've kind of mentioned it uh, the last couple episodes as well. This whole you can challenge OPI and DPI now. The problem is the refs have shown that they don't want to overturn their own calls because right. they're too prideful and they don't want to show that they're making mistakes unless it is absolutely clear and obvious. It's one of those things like when you challenge a play, it's one of the, it's always one of those plays, well, if it was called this way, it's probably going to stand that way. If it was called the other way, it would stand that way. It's tough because that was a turnover, which the Ravens desperately needed. So why not throw the flag just to see maybe this is the one time? He's like, well, they haven't proven it yet. Well, the sample size is incredibly small. It's only been three weeks of NFL football at that time, not even. So I I, I disagree with just holding the time out just to have when you could have had a a potential chance for a turnover. But I do understand the logic a little bit of they're never going to overturn that play. But the mistakes, he also mentioned some blown coverages as well, which is the second week in a row that this Ravens secondary has blown coverages, which is absolutely inexcusable for an an aspect of the team that was supposed to be a strong suit. Obviously, no Jimmy Smith, but I mean— we could have all legitimately predicted that at the start of the year, <laughs> that he would have been out for some length of time. Um, the, 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 I, the, Patrick Mahomes is great. Fine. We're, we're, we keep saying that in this podcast. But he was only boosted by some, some terrible, terrible secondary play for the Ravens. The, the, the Miko Hardman 83-yard pass, which was more as far back as Mahomes dropped, seemed like 90-plus yards. Uh, that was just a heartbreaker. There was no one around him. He's fast. It was <laughs> That was one of those when the ball's flying through the air, you're just like, oh, no. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, he took it to the house. And, that, and that's really what blew the game open, because at that point, the Ravens were still just down 14-6. to six. You have them uh, pinned really deep inside the 10, or close to it, and you did, they just hit an 83-yard pass. It's it's hard to it recover from that. It seemed on that throw that Earl Thomas bit hard mm-hmm. on a on like a curl or some short five to ten yard route, and even he knew as soon as the ball was thrown, he sort of did the hop like the hop skip, looking back. Oh man, this is going right where I was, which is concerning because yeah. he's supposed to be you know that center fielder. It's tough to use this game as, you know, the decider for how good the secondary is going to be because this is one of the best offenses, frankly, of all time over the last year and a few games. So I don't want to get too bummed out about it, let's say. But the other aspect of the defense that did not do too well was the pass rush. Uh, Some good pressure early from Judon and uh, Purnell. uh, But then that really seemed to fade late. And the other guys on this team... Tim, I know you want to talk about this, that Harbaugh's kind of getting, you know, running out of patience with is these younger guys that we talked about in our preseason show who needed to show up to make sure that this team had a consistent pass rush. Yeah, I mean, I do love when Judon gets pressure and then horse collars the quarterback and thinks it's <laughs> fine. That guy, I, it's, it's, it's upsetting because he's clearly the most talented pass rusher we have on this team and they're going to need him this year. But I hope that this is the last year they're going to need him and they heavily invest in that aspect 
this offseason, they've got a little bit of cap room and not re-signing him, who he is just the classic guy who will leave this defense, go sign a mega deal somewhere else, and you'll never hear from him again. <laughs> and he might pull a Pernell McPhee and come back in a couple of seasons. Um, but, uh, yeah, outside of him, uh, Tyus Bowser and Tim Williams. Tim Williams, a guy out of Alabama who had some character issues. They took a flyer on him a couple years ago and it, incredibly talented getting after the pass rush or getting after the quarterback, excuse me. Uh, Harbaugh came out today and said, quote, we need more pressure and more sacks from these guys. They'll probably tell, this is, this is damning in my opinion. They'll probably tell you that they need more reps. I would say they have to earn those reps by doing something about it. And I've seen a little bit of a flash from Bowser in a couple games, but I mean, Williams and him were non-existent. Uh, Sack daddy Jalen Ferguson, I think I saw on the field one time. And that might, I think that was, I don't know if I even saw him on the field in the first two games in the season. I saw him once in this game, and I, I, rem, I remember specifically seeing him because I was like, oh, there's 45, there's Jalen Ferguson. And he was just getting eaten alive by their backup left tackle, Cam Irving, who I thought was going to be an issue for the Chiefs, especially after that first drive. It was eight quarterback hits for the Baltimore Ravens. I think at least three of them, maybe four, came in that first drive when they were after Mahomes, and then after that, it was pretty much non-existent, and if you're going to have some injuries on in the secondary, got some guys, and we don't have to talk about them this week, a guy like Brandon Carr on one side oh, get, no. getting torched, <laughs> you need some sort of pass rush, and when you don't have a premier guy, because Judon is not that, he's just the best available on this Ravens team, you have to have these guys that Tyus Bowser and Tim Williams do not give you anything else. They are pass rushers. They are supposed to go after the quarterback. And if you can't do that job, this Ravens defense is in trouble. Yeah. Just to kind of wrap this up, uh, the Ravens uh, and uh, Jeff Zrebeck, uh, now of The Athletic, had this in his piece. They gave up over 500 yards for just the 10th time in team history, which is hashtag not great. Um, So the good news is it probably can't get worse than that. Uh, as we'll see throughout the rest of the season, maybe. Um, but certainly it was uh, the concerns we had with Jimmy Smith out and the pass rush uh, uh, reared its head in this game. It's a tough matchup for any team. Tough matchup when you go to the Chiefs' home opener. They showed out for this game. Uh, they scored. They moved the ball. We'll have to see how this team how the Ravens adjust. Yeah, I will say, I know we have to move on. I just want to just kind of engage the listeners here. There's a ton of stuff to talk about in this game. I mean, we could, we could, knowing we all like to, you know, speak for very long amounts of time <laughs> on the Ravens, we could go about this game for probably an hour and a half, two hours if we really wanted to. If there's something glaring we missed, let us know at Pod Like a Raven, Twitter, Instagram, um, both of those at Pod Like a Raven. Pod Like a Raven at gmail.com. We still use email. We like email. You can, you can email us. It's it's pretty bone dry at the moment, but any 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 thoughts you have um, would be nice. Quick one from a, a friend of mine, Mike Brown, who listens to the podcast. I appreciate that. I, we basically just asked on Twitter for somebody's biggest takeaway. He said, I have multiple, but I'd say the biggest letdown in the secondary is in the secondary and that they cost us several big plays and key third down conversions. Is Jalen Ramsey a Raven yet? Which, who knows? Hopefully. Probably not, but that would be fantastic. I would not hold my breath no. for that. If yeah. I if I uh, if I were a gambling man, I would say that Jalen <laughs> Ramsey stays on the Jacksonville Jaguars this season. But we'll have to see. All right, let's move on now to the AFC North. You know, the one good thing about what? losing a game on a Sunday is when the entire rest of your division loses on a Sunday. Steelers, Bengals, Browns all lose 
Steelers and Bengals now 0-3. Are they both done in terms of winning this division or, or fighting for a playoff spot? I mean, Pittsburgh had five takeaways and lost. Like, I, 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 admittedly, I saw a decent amount of the game. I didn't see the whole thing. I thought Mason Rudolph was okay, but Fine. it's not anybody that scares me. Um, that defense is is not that great. They yeah. could, they could have gotten hammered if the 49ers could tur- stop turning over the ball. The Niners had like two. I was w- watching the highlights, uh, the extended highlights of it. Two or three turnovers within the red zone. Um, so it could have been a lot worse for the Steelers than it was, it, which is the strange thing for them, because I think w- we went into this year thinking their defense would be good and it hasn't really been. And I don't want to rule them out just because it's the Steelers and they've scarred me a lot over yeah. my life. Um, it's hard to see how they win, I think, the division. I think the Ravens are starting and, you know, it might be a little early. I think the Ravens are starting to prove that they are. And, you know, this a Ben Roethlisberger injury certainly helps this. But I think they're the best team in this division. I think that they have to they it is now on them to go out and not necessarily run the table, but but defend that AFC North crown, because I think. Everything is in the position to do it. Uh, just another quick mention for the Steelers real quick. And my boy, Kyle Juszczyk, former Baltimore Raven. If you've seen the clip on Twitter, absolutely wiping out new <laughs> Pittsburgh Steeler, Minka Fitzpatrick. Welcome to the black and gold, Minka. And another guy, they're trading a first-round pick for that guy. Everybody says, oh, well, you know what? You're not going to find that talent in the first round anyway where the Steelers are picking. This could be a top 10, top 5 pick for Pittsburgh. The AFC North in general has a very tough schedule this year. And, you know, make a Fitzpatrick good player. I would have liked to see maybe the Ravens take a stab at him, not for a first-round pick, but maybe if they could have gotten him for a little less value. But that could turn out, that could be a really bad move for Pittsburgh, in my opinion. If you, if you see Mason Rudolph have a bad season and he's not the answer and this team wins three games this year, that pick would have been used to draft a quarterback if it was top five. And, yeah. and they would have gotten a pretty good one out of it. I know there's a few quarterbacks going this year. That may end up, but I I think they're going to lose. I see this team now going like four and twelve. Uh, the defense is is a mess, and the quarterback's not going to carry them. Uh, I love seeing San Francisco running the ball down the Steelers' throat. That's what we're going to be doing in that game when we face them. Uh, the two backs for the 49ers, Raheem Moster, twelve carries, seventy nine yards. That's a six point six yard average, and then Matt Breida, fourteen carries, sixty eight yards. That's going to be. Ingram and Gus Bus in, yeah, in the game for sure. play. So real quickly too, they've got they've got two games against Cincinnati. Two game they got all their division games left. All six of those left. They have to go to the Chargers. Even though we all joke that'll be a home game for the Steelers anyway. They have to play Indianapolis. They still have to play the L.A. Rams. Uh, no one circles the wagons like the Buffalo Bills. Apparently, <laughs> they have to play them as well. Uh, and outside of that, they've got some cupcakes from there, but th- they have a tough schedule still coming up. They, I mean, they've already played some really good opponents in New England, and who knows with Seattle. Um, but yeah, I don't. If I was a Steelers fan, I would be. It would be pretty doom and gloom at this moment. Let's save the Browns for the the preview that we do. I'm going to whisper. They've scored 13, 23, and 13 points in their three games. Uh, I can't wait to play that offense, and now I'll probably get burned for saying that. But <laughs> we'll move on to the NFL. A couple of things to go over quickly. Uh, we're a little behind schedule, so maybe we'll sort of rush through some of these things. But I think we have to talk about Antonio Brown. Uh, th- the last time we talked about him, he'd been traded to the New England Patriots, and we were 
concerned that he was going to, you know, catch 10 balls for 100 yards for the rest of the season. Hello, darkness, my old friend. Yeah. A week passes, <laughs> and now he's no longer in the NFL and is taking courses at uh, Central Michigan. Did I get Cent- that direction right? Central okay. Michigan. Any comments on Antonio Brown? I mean, um, what? It, just a really bizarre story. It's hard to think in recent history of a player this talented running himself out of the NFL so quickly. Um, it it seems like he'll never play again. Certainly not this season. Um, probably not worth the risk for the Patriots in the first place and probably not a move they should have made. Obviously, in hindsight, he lasted all of 11 days. Um but yeah, I think the right move to cut him, given uh, some of the stuff that has come out about him. And uh, yeah, I just don't think we'll see him again this year. Yeah, I don't. This is a guy that I don't think unless something drastically changes. I don't know. I, this might be it for him. And honestly, I'm I'm kind of glad we're done talking about it a little bit. Clearly, he's got some legal cases coming up that he's going to have to deal with. I, I would assume and I'm going to hope that the Patriots did not know about any of this stuff. And then it surfaced. That's why they had the clause in the contract. And then he went on and and attacked one of his accusers via text message and abused them again, um, verbally, I should say. And, you know, I I kind of agree with you, Jace. I don't know if it was necessarily worth the risk, but I think they did the right thing in letting him go. And uh, honestly, the only other thing I hope to say is, you know, if this is if this is a mental issue with Antonio Brown, if it's something where he might have taken one too many licks to the head or something like that, that's that's very serious. And you hope he finds, um, you know, the help he needs. And if it's not that, and if, and if he's just kind of gone off the deep end and he wants to go take online classes at Central Michigan and live out the rest of his life, barring whatever happens legally, fine. But but if it is something more serious like that, which it kind of it's sad because it kind of seems like it is, I, I kind of hope he finds uh you know, the help that he needs. I don't think this is going to be the last that we hear of Antonio Brown. I don't know if it's going to have anything to do with the NFL, but what's strange for me is, uh, is the Patriots playing him in the game against Miami. I mean, they signed him before they knew about this legal stuff, but they played him after they knew about this legal stuff in a game that they had absolutely no need to have a guy like Antonio, like they won that game by 40 points and were never going to lose to Miami. So that, that was super strange to me. And uh, I have never liked the Patriots, so I'm going to disagree with their idea that they thought it was smart to play him in that game and then cut him, whatever it was, six days later. Sure. It's just a mess. Um, moving on to the rest of the NFL, I have one note here, really. It, the week, it was the week of the backup quarterbacks. Daniel Jones, uh, the, the new savior of the New York Giants, he comes back, or starts his first game, I should say, of the season. They come from behind. They win that game. Now everybody thinks Daniel Jones is going to lead the Giants for the next 10 to 15 years. Gardner Minshew beats the Titans. Teddy Bridgewater beats Seattle in Seattle. And Kyle Allen, who we all know and love so, so well. <laughs> right, guys? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Four touchdowns against the Cardinals. How many of these guys are still going to be relevant in, in six to eight weeks? What is the story with some of these teams? I am all in on the Gardner Minshew train. That's it. I just, I love that guy. I, I, he is, he's electric. There's no other way to put it. You've seen all the outfits he does. You've heard all the <laughs> stories. Um, there's a very famous podcast that doesn't need plugging here because I'm sure if you listen to this, you've probably heard of it. It's called Pardon My Take. They had him, they had him on. I encourage you, after you've listened to this episode fully, rate, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, which we're now available on, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Play. Five stars. Five stars. Leave a comment, <laughs> all that fun stuff. Like, subscribe, all that all that good stuff. After you do all of that, go and listen to this interview. This guy, 
they use the term football guy. He is the epitome of this of a football guy. He went to transfer. He was behind two seniors at East Carolina. So he wanted to get a medical red shirt. The only way he could get another year of eligibility. So he said, quote, I took a handle of Jack Daniels and a hammer and tried to break my own hand. One of the best stories I've ever heard. I was I was thoroughly entertained. Moral of the story, he couldn't do it. He, he tried to hit because it was his right hand. He's like, I couldn't break my left hand because they would say I could play with that because my non-throwing hand. So I tried to break my right hand. My left arm is not as strong, so it was very hard to do. The guy's an animal, and I hope – I don't – I've, I've seen a little bit of the Jaguars play, admittedly. I haven't seen a ton of their games. Um, you know, the victory on Thursday night, which was nice. I just want that guy in the league because I want characters like that in the league. It, he's a perfect cult hero, too, for a team like the Jaguars, who I don't Absolutely. think people feel that strongly about. Like, you know, the Jags are probably most famous for being a joke on The Good Place about how, like, this guy's from Jacksonville and LOL, he's a Jags fan. Uh, and somehow I think having just Gardner Minshew as their QB is like perfect. <laughs> it just fits. It's like a glove. So big fan of him as well. And uh, in our, our gambling picks last week, I thought the Jaguars getting points at home against the Titans was the easiest lock of the week. What I also said I thought was going to happen was that the Seahawks were going to handle Teddy Bridgewater. And uh, that didn't happen. Uh, the score makes it seem like this was a closer game than it really was. <laughs> Uh, the New Orleans Saints up by 20 for most of that game, and I completely forgot that Alvin Kamara was still on that team. He he, he breaks three or four tackles every single time he touches the ball. I have some extended thoughts, actually, on this game that I will save for our gambling segment um, here in a little bit. But it, I was certainly an impressive performance. I read it was the first, um, I believe our USA Today Sports' Nate Davis had this in his piece, the first loss the Seahawks have suffered in September at home under Pete Carroll, which is a weird stat, but he's been there nearly, he's been there a decade now. This is his 10th season. So it cert- was certainly enough of a, a buildup to make that a meaningful stat. Yeah, I, I, lo- I love when something like that happens uh, <laughs> the week after I, I make a bold prediction. <laughs> All right, moving on now to one of Tim and I's favorite segments. Uh, for those of you who are listening for the first time, we're going to explain this once more. Every week, we give a few minutes for Jace to go on one of his legendary rants and, and rumbles <laughs> about something that's really grinding his gear that particular week. Tim and I may take this this five minutes sometime. Probably not, though. Jace has not struggled to, to come up with things to talk about. So I ask you, Jace, what's bothering Jace? The disrespect for the Baltimore Ravens, Antonio. That's Thank what's you. bothering me this week. This year is the NFL's 100th anniversary, and to celebrate, um, they are doing a series called The 100 Greatest, the first part of which was the NFL's 100 Greatest Plays. Now, if you're a Ravens fan, I think you just thought of what the Ravens' greatest play is. It's Joe Flacco to Jacoby Jones to beat, not to beat, but to force overtime against the Denver Broncos in the final minute of the AFC Divisional Round in 2012, a season that, if you recall, ended with the Ravens winning the Lombardi Trophy. Um... Somehow, in this NFL special, of 100 plays in the 100-year history of the NFL, this game by, uh, or this play by a Super Bowl champion, which is undoubtedly one of the 30 great playoff moments of all time, somehow did not make the NFL's list. It's insane. Now, a, uh, I believe a producer on the show uh, who tweeted at 
the Pod Like a Raven account and me when I was already complaining about this on Twitter. Uh, told us um, that this was an 80 person panel and shout out to him. He was wearing Maryland gear. So I think he at least is uh, 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 cognizant of our plight here. Uh, an 80 person panel with up to 50 AP members and this panel uh, could uh, developed by uh, NFL media and the AP 80 people and somehow did not vote for this play as one of the hundred greatest in NFL history. That's insane to me. How can you watch that play, a, the greatest play in the history of the Baltimore Ravens, and not think it's one of the hundred greatest that the NFL has ever seen? And I'll tell you why. It goes back that people do not respect this team. They're like, oh, they stole the Browns out of Baltimore or out of Cleveland. Boo hoo. You know what? The Ravens have existed. Next year is their 25th season. 25 years we've had to get over the Browns leaving Cleveland now. This team has won two championships. They've been to the playoffs 11 times in the last 20 years. We've had six Hall of Famers, three being Ray Lewis, Ed Reed, and Jonathan Ogden, among the best that have ever played their positions. And I just don't understand why people don't, like, appreciate this team. And that's... That's what it comes down to, because there's no way that 80 people should have been able to come up with a list of the 100 greatest plays in NFL history and just leave off the singular greatest play in the history of one of the team's franchise or one of the league's franchises. I love how it came back to Cleveland. (laughs) It came back to Cleveland. By the way, we moved the franchise on the up and up. There was another Baltimore (laughs) franchise that was stolen right under our nose in the middle of the night and Mayflower uh, Moving Company should never exist ever again. Thank you, Mr. Ursay. I just will add that there, but that was that was a good that, that was, was a good one. That was a good one. They're yeah. getting stronger every week. He's They're banging the table more. Yeah, yeah there's a lot of this. Uh, Jace, last thing I'll ask: if you had to put it in that list yourself, where would you have put it in the 100 plays? I f- it's got to be top 30. I can't like. There's been a lot of great plays, but you think like big playoff moments. Certainly in the last you know 10 to 15 years, there last 20 years there hasn't been. What are the bigger plays? It was like Malcolm Butler's interception, Minneapolis Miracle. I'd concede I'd probably put those ahead. But this again, team won the Super Bowl because this play happened. A 70 yard pass on third down with a minute to go in the AFC divisional round. How does that not make 100 plays? Friend of the show, Ryan Warmly, pointed out that the butt fumble was on the list, which a legendary play. One, I approve of being on the list. That not play is not on the list. Prayer in thin air, mile high miracle. Come on. There's, I, I will. There, and it's not that they just completely, because there was a play by the Ravens on the list. Ed Reed's 108 yard interception return. Deservedly so. But again, that was a regular season game against Kevin Cobb. This was a play that helped beat Peyton Manning in a season the Ravens won the Super Bowl. It's the greatest play in franchise history. And I don't understand how. It wasn't on the list. Now, the producer reached out to us, hinted that this game w- will probably be showing up in the NFL's 100 Greatest Game series. But again, it's such a singular moment. How do 80 people decide like, nah, I don't think so. That's not that wasn't uh, mind dropping or uh, mind blowing and jaw dropping. And I just it's, I just I, I love I love that because I, I, I didn't see this response from the producer. The Jace is t- if you follow Jace on Twitter at Jace T Evans, he's tipping his hand to what's bothering Jace that week. And he goes on this whole thing and he's like, I will be talking about this a lot on Pod Like a Raven. <laughs> the guy finds it and does the, what Jace said, the 85 person panel, 58 P writers, yada, yada. And Jace responds with a soliloquy that just starts. 
That's still wild to me. LOL. <laughs> That's that I should a peek behind the curtain. That is a modified version of what I was going to initially say, which was I don't know how that many people can be so wrong. But I thought that was <laughs> I thought that was rude to a guy I didn't know. It seems to mean well. So, um, yeah, I I was thoroughly perplexed. I don't know how that doesn't end up in the hundred greatest plays in NFL history. And it's bothered me since last Friday night. <laughs> That was uh, <clears throat> that was what's bothering Jace, and we'll be back next week with <laughs> with whatever's <laughs> grinding Jace's gears next week. Jace, thank you so much for that. Uh, I think your best one uh, of the season. So let's move on now to a little segment we like to call Random Ravens, which oh uh, has gotten some buzz from a lot of our listeners. They're big fans of this segment. Every week, one of us picks a very random Raven. And gives a couple of clues to the other two co-hosts, and we see if they can guess it, we see if the listener can guess it, and then we reveal who this random raven is at the end of the show. It is my turn. Last week, we had Jace fool us with Marlon Brown. Uh, we didn't come up with that, so uh, now it's my turn. I, I think you guys are going to get this. Uh, the clues are going to get easier and easier as I go. I think right around that fourth or fifth clue, you're going to really have it, but let's see. So, number one. After establishing himself as a household name on another team for eight years, he joined the Ravens for one season in 2010. You love this one season guy. I've, I, I realize that oh, I'm making that a man. pattern. I'll have to do a, a longer tenured guy next week, but or in a few weeks. So he was on the team only in the 2010 season and previously was on another team, the same team, for eight years. In 2010, he appeared in 16 games, only started two, and he caught 30 passes and three touchdowns. Now, the team that he played for for those eight seasons, which was from 2001 to 2008, that team is one of the AFC North teams. This is where I think we're going to start to uh, start to turn yeah, here. Yeah. So he played eight years in the North. Then I will admit, in 2009, he was on another team, but I won't tell you who that is because I think it'll give it away. And then in 2010, was on the Ravens for that 12 and 4 season. So far, T- Tim may have it. J- Jace is looking at the sky over there. He doesn't have. Well, Jace, this clue may help. He's best remembered as a Raven, anyway, for dropping a season-ending fourth-down pass in the last wow. minute of the Ravens' playoff loss to the Pittsburgh Steelers, 31-24. Uh, yeah, I know who this is. I, this I'm, is the second depressing one you've done. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know what that says. Maybe the fact that I'm doing these on a Monday, I'm just really bummed out. Sure, so, sure, yeah. This hurts me. I blocked this guy out. That's why it took so long. To so it seems like the two co-hosts have him. I'll say the fifth clue just for the listener. Uh, the fifth one's I think, is really going to give it away. So I'm glad that you guys were able to get this without the fifth clue. But for the listener... In his glory years on this AFC North team, he was paired up with a former college teammate, and together they gave the Ravens nightmares <laughs> through the mid-2000s. Tim suddenly is puzzled. Maybe this was too much information, and now, now Tim doesn't know who, who no, we're working I'm with. Confi- I'm confident, but that last clue, if I didn't know it, that last clue wouldn't have helped me, I don't think. So that's the random Raven for this week. We will, I will re- reveal that answer at the end of the show. I think one of you have it, if not both. But uh, we will have to see. Let's move on now to the upcoming game that the Ravens have. They're back at the bank playing their first AFC North opponent, the Cleveland Browns. The Browns. 
Who are the Browns, guys, through three weeks? Uh, are they an up-and-up team? Are they going to end the season 6-10, and 7-9? and nine? Have they just not really played their best game yet, and that's going to happen against the yeah. Ravens, as it typically well, would? They're a team with a shockingly poor offense um, for uh, what we projected them to have. As you mentioned, very low point totals. Uh, that 23 points we should mention was against the New York, uh, the New York Jets, who managed 105 total yards against the New England Patriots yesterday. Um, so I think they're just having a hard time getting on track. I think the offensive line, which we've talked about a little bit with them has been a problem. Um, Baker has already been sacked 11 times. Uh, and he's only completing 56.9% uh, of his passes, three TDs to five interceptions. So I think it's just for them. It's been offensive inconsistency has been the real problem so far. Yeah, it's weird when you take a team that's way too hyped in the offseason, doesn't have an offensive line to build anything around, and it's historically bad. It's not the team that left Preach. Cleveland in 1996. They are a joke. They are overrated. They're going to come into the bank tomorrow. Or excuse me, not tomorrow. Jeez, I wish it was tomorrow. Tim's ready. Tim's I'm ready. ready. I'm fired up. They're going to come into the bank on Sunday, and it's not going to be demolished because it's the Ravens. It's a divisional opponent. We're going to play them close. Baker last year almost ruined our playoff hopes. Well. Uh, thanks to C.J. Mosley, that was, that was stopped. Um, I, I, you know, I, I, I kid a little bit there. I, I have my reservations about completely writing off the Browns yet, especially given the other two teams in this division right now. But it's a point that we talked about with the Ravens in week one. It's something that I'm going to keep coming back or in the preseason, excuse me. It's something I'm going to keep coming back to our offensive line. It was the thing that I thought could really ruin this season for Baltimore. They have been relatively good. A guy we didn't mention against Kansas City Chiefs. Bradley Bozeman stinks. I hope they find a new left guard or find some way to give him some help because, oh boy, he is not great. Can Jalen Ramsey play left guard? I mean, <laughs> sure. Why not? Sign me up. As long as he doesn't have the flu. Uh, the flu excuse me. But but this offensive line has been the big, their biggest issue. Um, you know, I don't want to really want to hear anything about how he's not really clicking with any of the new weapons yet. Nick Chubb has looked pretty good. 23 carries, 96 yards last night against the L.A. Rams. He's already clicking with Odell Beckham Jr., so it, it ain't it ain't a chemistry thing with them. Baker, unlike and and again, you know, everybody wants to love Baker, and if if I wasn't a Ravens fan, I probably would want the same thing too. Just we just have a burning hate for the Cleveland Browns at this point. <laughs> Every time I watch him compared to Lamar, when Lamar goes out of the pocket, especially now, I, f I feel a little bit confident. Now, there were some terrible decisions against Kansas City that we've talked about before. They ended up working out because <laughs> Lamar's just got that, twice. That, that thing about him twice. But I feel like he's almost matured to the point where he can, he can make anybody miss, and it's not like he's scrambling for his life. He seems a little bit more composed back there. Whether he makes the right decision or not, I still feel like that's going to come. Baker reminds me of a more shifty Brett Favre, where it's like he's kind of flustered, kind of flustered, kind of flustered, gets out of the pocket, doesn't really know what he's doing, running around, running around, scrambling, and he's just going to try and whip it in between two defenders. And, you know, I think since, he's, since he took over the starting role for, for Cleveland last year, he leads the league in interceptions. He threw another one last night. I think this is a guy that the Ravens' defense can really get after. I think if they're able, they need to get pressure on him. Get him out of the pocket. Get your guys up the middle. Pearson Williams really intimidating that offensive line. Don't allow Nick Chubb to set the pace. And if you if you get Baker flustered, he's going to make some bad decisions. 
for your Tony Jefferson, that one's not going to get called back for DPI. For your Earl Thomas, for your Marlon Humphrey, he might even try and force it into him, which would be a bad idea for the <laughs> Cleveland Browns because Marlon Humphrey, very good. Maybe even our boy Brandon Carr might get a little action there. I think this is a guy that we can really expose, and it's just the, – the, the, Jace, you can talk to me about this too because I know you watched the game last night. Some of the play-calling decisions too – Boggle my mind. We talked about this in week one. Freddie Kitchens, who was infamously called an idiot on hard knocks by <laughs> Baker Mayfield in his rookie season, is now the head coach. They're lining up empty. In, what was it, inside the 10 or the 11-yard line and for four straight plays to try and get into the end zone and win that game? And they can't do it because all the play calls just – they didn't they didn't know what they were doing. Yeah, it was especially strange because Chubb did have a pretty solid night and he's looked good. Um, my personal favorite uh, play the Browns ran last night was the uh, historic draw on fourth and nine, which was apparently a first. <laughs> um uh, Nick Chubb got two yards. Uh, they needed nine, so it did Stuffed not. Stuffed by Eric Weddle, by the way. Yeah, did not work out. Uh, Rams actually scored the field goal that put them up for good on that ensuing drive, so or they provided their final margin. So a disaster in that regard. But uh, I, yeah, I think there's just uh, big questions about um, Freddie Kitchens and um, USA Today Sports is Mike Jones, uh, one of our NFL writers. He was at the game last night, and he they don't seem to have turned on each other yet. But there is, I think people underrated the aspect, and I think it's easy to forget because I even have, that Freddie Kitchens was not the coach of this team last year. He was not even the interim coach. That was Greg Williams. Uh, so you, not only is he a full-time Offense or basically essentially offensive coordinator. He's the play caller uh, for the first time in the NFL for a full season. He's also a coach for the first time. And I think that's a huge learning curve. And you almost wonder if it was maybe too much too soon. I guess we'll see over the course of the season. Now, like you said, Baker terrifies me. I tried, I took a look at what he did last year against what, as we uh, should probably note, was the number one ranked defense in the NFL that the Ravens do not appear to be this year. Um, Baker in the final game went for 376. Now, he didn't throw three TDs, three interceptions, but he went for 342 in their first game. So Mm -hmm. that's a concern. But I agree with you. If they can make him move um, and maybe force Kitchens into some of these questionable play calls, if they get behind, um, they could uh, take advantage of that. Now, it will be hard, I think, to corral a guy like Odell Beckham Jr. or at least Jarvis Landry. You imagine Marlon Humphrey will be on one of those guys. Um so it remains to be seen, I guess, what the Ravens defense does against them. But I think there's some big concerns around uh, Freddie Kitchens so far. The, the skinny on Baker Mayfield so far has been that he's hanging on to the ball way too long. And when he does hang on to the ball, he gets himself into trouble. His uh, his number, I have his stats only through the first two weeks. I couldn't find it, including the, the Rams game as well. But when he throws the ball within two and a half seconds, this is per uh, NFL Next Gen Stats, Throwing the ball within two and a half seconds, he has a 74% completion percentage, two touchdowns, and an interception. When he waits to throw after two and a half seconds, his completion percentage drops to 55%. He has zero touchdowns and three interceptions. They know this. The Browns know this. Uh, I I think they're trying to make every adjustment they can to get the ball out of his hands early. I don't think he's going to be able to do that against the Ravens. I, I think we seem like the defense that would struggle the longer the quarterback is able to hang <laughs> on to the ball. Uh, so these are sort of uh, you know opposing forces that are going to meet. Uh, I am actually concerned about Chubb. I, I think I'm they're going to get some yards on the ground. Yeah. 
Uh, and if that works, then I'm just waiting for the play action to Odell Beckham Jr. He will have a catch of over 40 yards in this game. I would write that down, <laughs> especially with how the secondary has looked against strong receivers. So I, I'm I'm a little nervous about this game, even with the Browns looking so bad on offense. I just think some of these matchups are not really in the Ravens' favor. Uh but what will the Ravens be able to do is run the ball when they have the ball. And, and and on the offensive side, I think they're going to succeed enough to win this game. Maybe not by what the line is, which we'll get to in a second, but a, will end up being a tight Ravens victory at home. Yeah, well, this is the key. And, I mean, it's going gonna, it's gonna to sound, you know, I hope it doesn't sound old for the listener as we, talk, as we do this every week. But the key for this Ravens team, almost every week, unless they come up against a team that is an incredibly good run defense, is establishing that run or off of it play action to set up the run. You know, that's kind of the new thing now where it's usually run to set up the pass. They could do it both ways. If Mark Andrews can have a field day against this defense, that means they're going to have to sag off a little bit, give a little more RPO for Mark Angry Running Ingram (laughs) and Lamar Jackson, as we talked about before, and eat up that clock, get a lead, and then you have to and then make Baker be the playmaker. Can he be that guy? Sure. But if he holds on to the ball too long, so we talked about it before, your Judons, your McPhees, your uh, Tyus Bowser, everybody is going to have to get after the quarterback. And if they're able to do that and fluster him, we're going to be able to force some turnovers, maybe get the ball deep in their own territory, score some more points, get a decent lead early, and control the clock. We keep talking about their offense versus our defense. The other way around doesn't really scare me outside of a guy named Miles Garrett well, and maybe to... Olivier Vernon. Those two guys scare me. If they can pass protect and do a decent job that way, give Lamar the amount of time he needs to make the crucial you know, you would hope maybe like the second and seven, third and four situations that this team wants to be in, and we can move those chains, eat up some clock, and, and end those drives in points, which is which is the important factor there. It'll be a close game. It always is. But I think it'll be one that you're walking out of feeling pretty confident in the performance from the Ravens. Yeah, Miles on the Browns' defensive side, Miles Garrett, I think, is really the only person who scares me um he's second in the nfl right now in sacks and kind of seems like he might be on his way to a defensive player of the year uh nominations maybe even a win so that's a concern but outside of him their secondary is extremely banged up uh denzel ward didn't play last night who knows if he'll be healthy this week um but so that bodes well in terms of the ravens having success in the passing game as well so if they can handle garrett which that'll be ronnie stanley's job or uh our boy zeus jr over there so um if they if they can handle Garrett, I think the Ravens' offense should be in pretty okay shape. The, the last thing I want to mention about the offense, and we talked about Mark Andrews not having the, his you know his best game against the Chiefs, was slowed by a foot injury in that game. Would love to see him healthy in this game. I'm not sure what the status was coming out of the game, whether you know it was sort of aggravated or not, or, or if this is if the healing process is going to be a straight line for him. But having him healthy is going to matter, and I think he was impacted uh, by that injury and not having as strong a showing against the Chiefs. So with that being said, any other uh, any other things you guys want to get off your chests about this game before we go to the lines? I'm very excited for divisional play to start. It's incredibly stressful, but it's the teams you love to hate. It's <laughs> that oh, it's 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 legit the mantra here, right? I mean, the the, the NFL is very much pass happy league. It's completely different um, from what it used to be, what we grew up with with these Ravens Steelers battles and things like that. They're kind of a thing of the past. But this is these are the last opportunities where you get a little bit of a remnants of that still, where these teams 
really go at each other. These games are always physical. They're always mean. These teams play seem to play at a different level. And I tell you what, man, especially after seeing them, and it was a little bit of a nervy game against Arizona, but seeing that team at the bank and, again, this crowd re- reinvigorated for the first time in a couple years. Now you're bringing the Brownies in, this overhyped <laughs> team that everybody <laughs> wanted to knock the Ravens off their perch in the AFC North. They're going to come in at 1-2. and two. They lose this. They're one and three, you know. It, and then the Ravens go three and one at that point. That's a hell of a swing. This is a very, very important game for the Browns. I think the the Ravens fans are going to know that too. That they could kind of, kind of step on the throat a little bit there. I'm just, I'm incredibly excited. I can't wait. Yeah, as, as exactly what you said, Tim. With the Bengals and the Steelers both at zero and three, the Browns are the only team within a game of the Ravens right now. It's a measuring stick game. It could put some real distance in between the Ravens and their other divisional opponents. Uh, And so, yeah, I'm excited. Should be a fun one. And I think this game is going to tell us finally a lot about how good this team is. Those first two games, we weren't really sure because based on how weak the competition was, then they swung all the way around to playing what may be the best team in the NFL on the (laughs) road. Now we get sort of an equalizing game. Let's see a division opponent who's supposed to really win this division at least at the start of the season they were supposed to let's see how how we play against the browns so the line is ravens by seven uh in terms of gambling that line is terrifying this game is going to be very very close it is always close both games i mean they split last year uh in a very ugly game in cleveland and then Really, a, you know, a sweating game uh, to clinch the, the AFC North uh, last year. I think this line is way too big, even based on how the Browns have looked. I, I rarely like the Ravens as seven-point favorites against a division team. I see this as a three-, four-point win going down to the wire. One of these teams is going to have the ball either trying to tie the game or take <laughs> the lead late, uh, or the Ravens trying to ice the you know ice the game uh, in the last few minutes. So... I'm taking the Ravens to win. I'm taking the Browns to cover uh, at seven points. The other game, the other two games, I guess, that I will get into in terms of gambling is I'm going to tease two games. And for those of you who aren't too familiar with gambling, a teaser is you take multiple games, you pick multiple winners, and because of that, you get to adjust the line to a certain number of points. I'm going to adjust it six points, so I'm going to tease the Pats at the Bills uh, to get that down to the Pats by one. And then the Chiefs at the Lions, that's going to put the line to even. So, I mean, that se- seems simple to me. Gambling is so simple, guys. <laughs> you just take the good teams, you think they're going to beat the teams that are worse than them, and you work the lines down to where they're even in one point. Uh, I can't see the Pats losing. I can't see the Chiefs losing. That's all I need to know. I'll probably get proved wrong. So, as somebody who is, you know, kind of dumb when it comes to gambling, to be <laughs> completely honest, you're teasing those down. How does that affect the odds? Uh, you will not get paid quite as much. Okay, I um, figured as But much. you are combining games together, so it sort of works It works mm. on both sides. So I need both those games to, to cover to win the bet. Got it. Which raises the, you know, I get, helps the odds. Got it. One way, and then it, you know, obviously it negates it by adjusting the lines down. Well, I'm just going to go quickly because I have the, well, we obviously picked the Ravens game, so I have the exact same, th- same three games as you. Real quickly, everything you said about the Browns uh, plus, Browns plus seven is correct. You said you don't like the Ravens minus seven against any AFC North opponent. I don't like the Ravens minus seven against any opponent in general. <laughs> so I'm taking the Browns plus seven there. And then because I don't know 
what a tease is or how to tease. I'm taking those same two, same two games, but just with the current lines. Kansas City straight up. Kansas City minus six away to Detroit. You're telling me they have to beat the Matt Patricia led Lions in a dome in a dome. <laughs> By just a touchdown? Undefeated through three we, games. Oh, we should say the 2-0-1 undefeated Detroit Lions. <laughs> I'm so sure. They tried to blow all of those games anyway. Uh, give me Kansas City oh, minus six away to Detroit. And then this this one hurts because I have a special place in my heart for the Buffalo Bills. But New England minus seven away to Buffalo. <laughs> this is that first big Buffalo game. They're 3-0. and oh, They're going to take it to the Pats. I want this because I'm not I'm not a gambling man, so I'm not going to put money on this. I want this to be wrong because watching Bills Mafia go nuts after Brady throws a couple of interceptions, <laughs> that place is going to be rocking and it will be incredible to watch. But New England minus seven away to Buffalo, I think, is a lock as well. Yeah. The, the Patriots are just rolling. Anything that isn't double digits at this point to anyone who isn't really Kansas City or maybe the L.A. Rams or somebody like that, I'm going to take them every time. So New England, my picks again, Browns plus seven, KC minus six. And New England, minus seven as well. Uh, hey, quickly, Jace, before you take the lines, the Bills' three wins so far, Jets, Giants, and Bengals. You know, uh, yeah. yeah, you're 3-0, and oh, but but show me something against the Pats. Yeah, before I actually, I'll, before I get to the Ravens, I'll actually do one of my picks here because I also took the Pats uh, at uh, minus seven. Uh, did you guys have to look this up? Do you know what Tom Brady's record is against the Buffalo Bills? I think he's lost like one game, right? Uh, he's lost more than that, but he's thirty and three against the Bills in his career. So that's to be said. Uh, we should also note I mentioned a little bit they gave up one hundred and five yards to the Jets, and also um, the Patriots haven't given up a touchdown on defense yet this season. Both of their <laughs> scores yesterday were on special teams and a Jarrett Stidham pick six and his very brief uh, foray relieving Tom Brady before he was immediately replaced uh, by Tom Brady again. Um, so, yeah, so I'm picking the Patriots there. To get back to the Ravens, I went with a push. Um, I think they're going to win by exactly seven points in a very strange nail biter I think it'll almost be the same as what we saw for the Browns last night where the Ravens are up seven they're driving and the Browns just don't score something like 24-17 final I'll say um and then the other one I wanted to get to and I mentioned a little earlier Cowboys minus three at the Saints now the Saints had an impressive win against Seattle but it was a deeply strange win Bridgewater only had 177 yards they were they didn't have over 90 rushing yards they scored two touchdowns on defense and special teams. The Seahawks had over 500 yards and ran 26 more plays, but somehow were down by 20 almost the entire game and were one for four on fourth down. It was just a very strange game. I don't know how the Saints really won. And when I really you watched the game and looked into the numbers, because I, too, throughout the afternoon, I was like, oh, wow, the Saints. What an impressive performance. And like, cause I was just watching on red zone at work as we had work on, we had the red zone on and they would cut in the saints had a big play and it was like, wow, what a game. But then you look at the numbers and you're like, they should not have won this game. And the Cowboys for their part might be the best team in the NFC. It's them or the Rams. So I'm going with the Cowboys to cover minus three on the road. It's their first big test of the season as well, but I think they will get it done against Teddy Bridgewater and company. I want to mention quickly last week, <clears throat> excuse me, all three of us, Loved the Rams at minus three. We all uh, won cars and houses and boats because of that. <laughs> uh, Tim, you loved that Texans plus three. They not only covered, but won outright. Jace loved Colts, got them in at minus two and a half, uh, and they won by three. Uh, so you made that. 
And I, uh, I tried to tell you guys that the Jaguars getting points at home was ridiculous. They covered that game and won outright. However, all three of us did lose our Ravens-Chiefs bet, uh, so not only did we get to watch our team lose, but we also <laughs> lost when we picked against the Ravens. They had that sneaky cover uh, because they lost by five, and we had them in at six and a half. So with all that being said, we're probably going to be 100% accurate this week, so, so we'll review those picks next week. But we all like the Ravens to win this game. The score is probably going to be dicey. That, that's the consensus between the three of us. Anything else, guys? Before we uh, before we close out, no. Let's, I I really hate that we have to wait another full week of work before we get another Ravens game. It's like especially coming off a loss too. You feel it. You feel it. Like I know this team can do better. I want to see them play again. I'm excited for them to be back at the bank. You know, hope, hopefully I get there sometime soon. I'm going to the Bengals game in a couple of weeks. Can't nice. wait for that. Um, so yeah, not too much else. I again just kind of to point out, we we did a lot on the Chiefs game because it was. Incredibly interesting how that thing played out. I think if you're a Ravens fan, for, for the first time in a long time, maybe a loss isn't the most discouraging. Like, it's not as incredibly discouraging as it used to be, where it's the same old frustrating things that's hitting you over and over and over again. This Maybe we'll find some new things to be frustrated <laughs> about, which I'm sure we will. Uh, but for now, you know, two and one, sitting atop the division, I think, I think everything is going pretty right for the Ravens. Yeah, it should be an exciting week, and like you guys said, a um, lot of takeaways from this game, so if we ran long, our apologies, but it was fun, and it's always great talking to you all as well. <laughs> Before we close out here, time to answer the random raven. I think you both have it. Uh, who, who? Jace, you want to guess first? I believe it is TJ Hushmanzada. I would say TJ Hushmanzada. So, with that being said, with your guesses in, I will repeat the first clue. After establishing himself as a household name on another team for eight years. It is TJ, who's your mama? That's my random raven for this week. He, uh... Great job, least, by the two of you. while vilified for that playoff drop, which until you had mentioned it, I had completely forgotten about. Um, I didn't. Uh, well, it's, it's back now, and it's still painful. Um, <laughs> uh, but... We should say, at least, he did have a game-winning touchdown to beat the Steelers with a very nice catch early in that season. Um, so it wasn't all bad for TJ uh, in his time in Baltimore. <laughs> Next week, Tim will be up with the Random Raven. Look forward to that one. I already got him. I'm ready. Thank you guys both for being on the show. We will be back next week. Uh, the newest addition is that this podcast is now on Apple Podcasts. So please, as we mentioned in the middle of the show, subscribe, like, comment, listen, then do it all again. Five stars. We will be back next Tuesday for Pod Like a Raven. I'm Antonio Barbera, joined by Tim Horsey and Jay Evans. Thank you so much for listening. We will see you next week.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.